Jesus heals a man born blind. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he sent, so he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. There are some passages in Scripture that are like portals, like like previews of movies that you may have recently longed to see that just whet your appetite for what the resurrection is going to be like. In John chapter 9 is a story many of you probably have heard perhaps many times. It's a story that's told in eight different scenes. We're going to look at the first three scenes, but the eight scenes are the Jesus uh, comes and his disciples ask him about a man who's born blind. Then the scene switches to Jesus healing this man, and then the man is questioned by his neighbors about how it happened. The fourth scene is that the man is then questioned by the Pharisees, and his parents are questioned by the Jews, if you continue to read in the chapter. Then this man is questioned by the Jews again, and Jesus reveals himself to the man. And finally, Jesus reveals himself to the Pharisees and uncovers their blindness. We're going to look at the first three of these scenes. And on Easter morning, it gives us a portal, a glimpse, a picture of what the resurrection is going to be like. Because it shows us first chaos, the craftsmanship, and the questions. First, the chaos. The story begins like many, many stories begin with a very complicated situation. It's chaotic. Here's a man who's born blind, who is a beggar. And all these religious people are looking at him, wondering what he did wrong to be born blind because it was common in the ancient Jewish way of thinking that sin is tit for tat. If you suffer some impediment, it's because surely you've sinned or perhaps one of your ancestors sinned to cause it on you. And his disciples come up to Jesus and they ask a very honest question. Jesus, multiple choice question. A, who sinned? A, was it this man or B, was it his parents? We all have chaos in our life. We all have very complicated situations that make us wonder what is going on in the world. Listen, you know this. I mean, there are families in this very room whose marriages are struggling. You feel like home is chaotic. 
just this morning at breakfast, just minutes ago when we were having breakfast together, for those of you who are here for our early service, the police came and they were enjoying having breakfast with us and a couple of them ran out of the cafeteria. They probably walked very fast. You may not have noticed it, but they got a call and they had to get out of there quickly. Listen, some of us are looking at the week ahead going, what are we going to do to renegotiate our work schedule? Because every child in Owasso and Tulsa and Oklahoma are going to be out of school if they're in public schools. Chaos. Times are no less hectic today than they were in the ancient Near East, are they? And everybody wants a solution to the chaos. And Jesus' disciples and the Pharisees and the Jews are lining up. Whose sin is it, Jesus? Either it was the boys, the man's sin, or it was his parents. And they present this question to Jesus in a very simple way. Whose sin is it? We want answers to the question. But notice what Jesus does. They passed by, they saw a man, an anthropos, just a man who was blind, typhlon in Greek, from birth, genetes. And they said, teacher, who sinned? And Jesus says, not A, not B, just like the gospel often does. It's a third way of thinking. Jesus says to the disciples, it's neither friends. And the way that Jesus responds is actually quite, it's a little strange. In English, the editors of your Bibles added punctuation, but you know in the ancient Near East or in the, in the Quone Greek, there's no punctuation in Greek. And so it's one long run-on sentence. And so we tend to read this text as though this man was born blind so that God could then show his power by healing the blind man, as though somehow God gave this man this blindness in order for him to be able to then redeem him publicly. He may have. He certainly has the power and the discretion to allow things to happen at his sovereign command. But the text doesn't always lean us that way. You could read the text this way. The text quite literally could say that Jesus replied, neither this man sinned nor his parents. But in order that the works of God may be revealed in him, it is necessary for us to work the works of him who sent me while it is day, period. For night is coming when no one is able to work. Now that may seem confusing to you, but the reason I'm telling you that is because the point is that Jesus' point in replying the way he did, neither A nor B, but C, is that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He is the light of the world. Jesus says, while it is day, while I'm in your presence, I am the one who is dispelling darkness. And I'm giving you a picture of what it's going to be like in the new Jerusalem when we all with resurrected bodies in joy and grandeur and gladness are running through the fields and splashing in the lakes to degrees and power and glory. We can't even imagine. This is a picture of that. And it is my job, sent by my Father, Jesus says, to be the one who pushes back the darkness now. And I am doing that now because night is coming. The night of my crucifixion is what he meant, is coming. When darkness will be over all of the land. But I'm giving you now a picture, a portal, a preview of what it's going to be like in resurrection power. Jesus resists all of our, our analysis on how the world is rightly ordered. And he always surprises us by giving us not always answers, 
but he gives us himself. And friends, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a set of doctrines that you and I might believe. True though they are, it is about the presence of a king who was crownless, who is now crowned in glory and honor. And it's about his rule and reign. And it manifests itself in our hearts as he changes us and he brings our identity from that of sinner and broken to whole and saint and loved because of the work of Christ for you and for me. And the doctrines that we believe about Christianity, including the true historical event of the resurrection, buttress the reality of Jesus' relationship with you. He is the light of the world. Fos amy tu cosmu. A light of the world I am. Coming to you. Is he shedding abroad his light in the darkness of your day? Of your circumstances? of the things that you're going through. The resurrection isn't just a doctrine to be believed. It is about a relationship with the Lord Christ to be embraced. In the words of N.T. Wright, he puts it like this. He says, The world is stranger than simple answers, darker than that even. And the light of God's powerful, loving justice shines more brightly than that. To understand the gospel, we have to be prepared to dismantle some of our most cherished assumptions and let God remake them in a different way. The world is not like a moral slot machine where we provide a good work and we get a good result. We all know that that's not true. And here is a man who has been blind from birth. And it's very easy to look at evil in the world and try to provide a pat answer for it. But Jesus refuses to do that. He gives himself to this man. He dwells with him. And for some of you who are struggling about your own Christianity and you are wondering, listen, it may not be doctrine and it may not be an argument that brings you back to faith. It is him And all of the mystery of worship together with your brothers and sisters that draws you back because Christ is the light of the world that dispels the darkness of our doubts and of our questions. Tolkien once said, From the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from shadows shall spring, renewed shall be blade that was broken, and crownless again shall be our king. Amen? The chaos and mystery of our present world, it seems, is the raw materials out of which a good, loving, and wise God is making new his creation. Out of our chaos, our new creation comes. There's chaos in this passage. There's questions. Second thing we see is Jesus' craftsmanship. Notice what happens in the second scene of the story. Jesus heals the man. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, John wants us as the readers of the fourth gospel to think back about the first chapter of John where Jesus again there says, he is the light that was coming. It's a call back to creation. And here Jesus takes himself. He spits fluid out of his body and he kneads together some dirt and makes mud. And he puts that mud on a human being. What better metaphor for the incarnation could there be 
God gives of himself, mixes it with earth, and applies it to be our balm for salvation. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus gives himself to mix it with earth, just like the eternal Son of God came and took upon our own flesh in the incarnation to be for us what we could never be, the perfect human. And Jesus puts this solve on the man's eyes. And then he says to the man, now go to the pool of Siloam, which is in Hezekiah's temple. Go and wash. And unlike Naaman in 2 Kings 5, he doesn't ask questions. No, no, I don't, I don't need to wash myself. Don't you know who I am? This man is a beggar, which means that he is, he is socially outcast. He's physically obviously outcast. He can't even get into the temple to worship. Do you remember how the temple was structured? You have the inner court of the priests, and then you have the court of Israel, and then you have the court of the women, and then you have the court of Gentiles. And this man can't even get into the court. He's at the gate begging for mercy, blind, can, blind, completely ousted by society. And it's amazing, if you keep reading John 9, that his parents are still there. This is just an amazingly human passage. If you read the passage on, beyond what Marchandria read for us, the, the, the Jews go and get his parents and say, who healed this man? And his parents say, well, ask him. He's of age. You can ask him his own questions. This man is desperate. And Jesus heals him. He applies the incarnational power, a picture of the resurrection, and this man has eyes to see. Jesus says, go to the pool of Siloam. And so this man goes to the pool of Siloam, which John adds which means sent, so that this man will know that when he washes in that pool, it was not because of the magic uh, mud that Jesus put on his eyes, not some new medicine that Jesus created. It was because of the power of Jesus' word that said, go and be healed, by which this man was healed. Christ healed him, not by means of mud, but by the word of his power, and he still heals us today in the very same way. This man was socially restored, forced to beg at the gate. Now he has eyes to see. And now he has conversation. He has relationship, it seems, even if he is on tribunal by the Pharisees and the Jews who are questioning him. He's physically restored, obviously. His eyes are opened and he sees. Can you imagine being blind from birth, being able to see the color yellow, pink? orange, to see the sunset, the sunrise, and he's spiritually restored. And we know that because the very end of the passage in John chapter 9, beyond what we read this morning, says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him in verse 38 of chapter 9. But what's really interesting about this passage for me is the kind of questions that the churchgoers ask of this man. Because this man has neighbors who come to him. And we know they're churchgoers because they run to the Pharisees and bring the Pharisees into the conversation. Into the chaos, Jesus works his craftsmanship, and all of a sudden there's questions. And his neighbors come and they say, no, this isn't the man that was a beggar. He's, he has eyes to see. It couldn't possibly be him. And, and others say, no, it is him. It looks just like him. Look at him. It's him. And so they go and ask him, look, look, and they're arguing in front of him. And this man, it says in the text, it says, he continually says to them, I am the man. He kept saying, verse 9 in chapter 9, I am the man. 
which this man, is a, it's a kind of a double entendre in Scripture. Ego a me, ego a me, ego my e. He's saying to them in Greek, I am the man, which is a double entendre, which means, yes, I am the blind man who is healed, but also the reason I am healed is because of ego a me, the great I am. Ego I am me am. This is how God the Father revealed himself, isn't it, in the Old Testament? This is how seven times Jesus reveals himself in the new. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Ego of me. And here this man is trying to say to them, I am the man. I am the man. And in so doing, he is trying to tell them exactly who healed him. I am the one who's been healed. But perhaps in an ironic way that the man didn't fully realize, he's saying, I am healed because of the great I am. Friends, Jesus and the beauty of the resurrection for us is kind of like a great masterpiece that has been stolen from view for many, many years. There's a 19th century collection of Dutch paintings that were stolen a number of decades ago that were just recovered last year. You may have heard the story. They were stolen out of the Van Gogh Museum. And thieves replaced them with counterfeits. And nobody picked up on it for quite some time. And they couldn't find the real deal until just last year they found it in the house of an Italian drug trafficker. These beautiful paintings by Van Gogh, two of them. One is the seascape of a town in the Netherlands that I cannot pronounce. And the other one is called Churchgoers of a Reformed Church. Beautiful paintings, recently recovered. And the resurrection is kind of like Jesus revealing his masterpiece for the world to see. And in all of our searching for answers, wanting to know exactly how Christianity works, we sometimes just forget to bathe in the presence of Jesus himself. And to say, I do not know how he healed me. But he has. The neighbors asked, How can this be the same man? Can beggars now be free? Can blind people now see? Can liars no longer lie? Can people make progress in their spiritual life? Oh, the answer to that question is yes. And I am Exhibit A, chief of sinners in this room who sometimes ever so slowly and painfully in making progress in my own understanding of who I am in the gospel. And we together as a church are an exhibit to Owasso and to the world of what it means to not be perfect people, but to be people who have been with Jesus, who've had the scales fall from our eyes and who now see. Do you see through the darkness of the resurrection, the budding flowers, the darkness of the crucifixion, the budding flowers of the resurrection. Do you see that into the chaos of your life, Jesus comes to speak very directly. He intends to heal you, to remind you that what you need perhaps are not more theological answers, but you need the presence of Him who comes to you in grace. And with your questions, would you bring them to the table this morning? This is not a normal Easter sermon, but it is a sermon that is a preview for what it will be like one day, someday, when we are standing, when we will think as though we were blind, to have Jesus anoint us 
so that we can truly see without sin the beauty of what he has done for us. Now we see as though through a glass darkly, and one day we will see him face to face. Hallelujah. It will be greater than you could ever imagine. So bring your questions to him this morning. Bring them to the face of the one whose face smiles upon you because he has extended to you grace. He loves you because he loves you. You don't need to try to work your way to the cross. You only need to come empty-handed. The law commands you to do, do, do. And grace commands you to just be, be, be. And he showers you with his love. Frederick Buechner once wrote that for Paul, the resurrection was not a metaphor. It was the power of God. And when he spoke of Jesus as raised from the dead, he meant Jesus alive and at large in the world, not as a shimmering ideal of human goodness or the achieving or hopeful thought, but as the very power of life itself. If all that he had in him to give to the world was just a little little glimmer of light to make bearable the inexorable approach of endless night, then we are all in despair. But Buechner says, no, Jesus came to be the light and not just shed it upon our dark circumstances, but to be a picture of when light shall glow ablaze for all eternity and we shall be brought into it. Lewis says, no nation, C.S. Lewis, or individuals are really brought into God's camp by the historical study of the biography of Jesus. Simply as biography, it will not do. Indeed, materials for a full biography have been withheld from men. The earliest converts were converted by a single historical fact, the resurrection, and a single theological doctrine, the redemption of man by faith alone, operating on a sense of sin which they already had. The Gospels, of course, came later and were written not to make us Christians, but to edify us as Christians already made. Tolkien says, All that is gold does not glitter, and not all who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither, and deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken, and from shadows shall come the spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken, and the crownless again shall be king. Christ became what we are, Athanasius wrote, so that we might become as he is. Hallelujah. I'm not done. Jesus brought with us truth with grace, tenderness with conviction, power with gentleness, self-sacrifice with failure, weakness without fear, strength without bullying, sovereignty without injustice, mercy without sentimentalism, anger without bitterness, tears without hopelessness, intensity without burnout, amen, setting up every week for worship, brightness without blinding, touch without abrasiveness, and zeal without harshness, so that you and I can find in our brokenness wholeness, in our sickness healing, that those in darkness can see light, that those with lies can perceive the truth, that the downcast can be revived in hope, the shaken can flee to him who is our refuge. Jesus hungered, and yet he fed thousands. He thirsted, but he cried. If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He was wearied, but He is the rest for all of us who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus was heavy with sleep, but he walked lightly over the sea. He pays the tribute, yet out of a fish, 
yet, but he is the king of all those who demanded payment. He prays, and yet he hears our prayers. He weeps, but he causes our tears to cease. He is sold, and very cheaply, but he redeems the world at the greatest price, the price of his own blood. This is your Savior who loves you. As a sheep, he is led to the slaughter, but he is the shepherd of Israel. As a lamb, he is silent, yet he is the word, and he is proclaimed to all the world. He is bruised and wounded, and yet he heals every disease and every infirmity, every marriage answers every longing of our heart. He is lifted up and he is nailed to a tree, but by that tree of life, he restores us. He is given vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, but he is the one who turned water into wine and gives his body to us to enjoy together as a family. This is our Savior. Into the chaos, he brings his craftsmanship to make us whole. And your questions, he can handle them. Bring them to the table this morning and all of your questions and all of your wondering because just as God through the power of his word in the original creation brought order out of chaos, so God by the power of his not spoken word but his living word brings order and chaos into our life. Renews us, reforms us, and shapes us. And notice one last thing. Jesus says in verse 9-4 that we must work the works of him who sent Jesus. Ministry decentralized, just like you learned last week. We are the picture, friends, in Tulsa and Owasso of what it's going to be like in the new kingdom. Shaped, molded, reformed with new identities not chiefly as banker or as lawyer, as attorney or as father or as husband or as nurse, as Christian, bought by his blood. Into our chaos, his craftsmanship shines the brightest just like this man born blind who has been healed. Do you know him? Run to this table. It is the only thing that can satisfy us. And as you come to the table week after week, our chaos begins to be crafted anew into something far more beautiful than you could ever hope or imagine. Amen? It's because of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, thank you that into the chaos of sin and death and the complications of life, you have rendered sin and death powerless at your craftsmanship. You were raised again to prove this power. Father, help us to bring our questions to you. Help us to bring our faith to you, strong or weak, whatever it may be. Father, would you remind us again and again that though you were crownless, yet you shall once again be crowned king. Now we know you are crowned king at the Father's right hand. And we long for the day when you come again to restore all things of which the resurrection only pointed us. And you make us new and whole. For those, Father, in this room who are struggling over sin, would you comfort them? Those who doubt, would you surprise them by opening their hearts to believe? For your name's sake we pray. Amen. I don't